This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I am Helen Farmer. You are listening to the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Your chance to catch up if you've missed the show or indeed listen again to any guests or topics. We were discussing women's health with Juliette Dutois. She is a women's specialist, an osteopath, and an expert in all things pre- and post-birth. So what does she have to say about the examinations that every woman must have? We were talking about protecting your energy in the busy season with a practitioner, Kiru, and some basic saving tips, even in the midst of all of these big deals we're getting through on our email. Getting you ready or getting your home ready for the festive season with Kate Instone from Blush. And Lamilla Malava was on hand for your legal clinic as we unpack the new federal family law that's coming to effect in February. From marriages to divorce, inheritance and more. Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. We have stolen away Juliette Tois from Up and Running. She's an osteopath certified to deliver the Mummy MOT, postnatal physiotherapy for mums. She's also an accredited baby yoga practitioner, a women's health specialist, and has a real special interest in paediatric osteo for babies post that six-week checkup. So she is here to answer your questions and mine. We've already had a number through social media on the text line as well. Juliette, are you okay to kind of start by outlining some of the issues, the conditions that are coming through your door? Yes. So when we talk about women's health, obviously, we talk about um, everything that includes women's health. We don't only speak about pregnancy and postnatally, but that also includes the woman through their life journey, whether it's menopause or as childhood. Um, I think mainly at the moment, I see a lot of pregnant ladies coming through the door asking uh, for a lot of recommendation, top tips, and obviously all our postnatal ladies coming through for advice, postnatal checkup. Um, There's much more awareness about going and see a woman's health specialist nowadays which mm. is actually brilliant to see not enough in my opinion but we're getting there slowly and surely um, so I see a lot of women coming from typically from musculoskeletal pains such as pelvic girdle pain which is low back pain pubic symphysis pain hip pain we see a lot of women um, struggling also with acid reflux during pregnancy uh, we saw we see a lot of women struggling with headaches jaw pain pelvic floor issues all these things are really mechanical linked and there's a lot of things that an osteopath can really help you to understand. I think we kind of forget just because you know how common it is to give birth um, just how much the body goes through during that time but also after that time as well mm. and I wondered when do people tend to come and see you is it when the pain gets really bad or some people coming in in a kind of preemptive way Julia? So if we talk about pregnancy and postnatally usually during pregnancy a lot of people is not aware that coming for a checkup throughout pregnancy uh, can be very, very helpful, beneficial to understand what's happening and also to get some tips for postnatal and fourth mm. trimester that we tend to really forget about. So we really think about only pregnancy and birth and then the women tend to forget about what can potentially happen on that uh, fourth trimester. Absolutely, because you think, well, the baby's here. So <laughs> yeah. my focus will be on the baby, but actually that fourth trimester, because so much is happening in your body when you think about the, you know, everything from, you know, the relaxing or yeah. a prolapse or making sure that pelvic floors is, is recovering. Um, and that really, as you say, needs to be a priority. You can't look after your baby exactly. if, you, if you're not in, good, yeah. not in your good sense yourself. Now, a lot of the issues we're talking about, whether that is incontinence or ab separation, are really common but perhaps not necessarily that normal do you find a lot of women are perhaps living in pain or discomfort or embarrassment because they think they just need to live with these things absolutely i think there's a massive awkwardness social stigma um, around these conditions and for a very very long time it was very very difficult for women to talk about these things and especially to their entourage but also to their families to their partners to their husbands and going to see a woman's health specialist was not necessarily a thing because there was some sort of embarrassment around it nowadays um, I'm hoping that people do seek help and women do seek help because there is help out mm-hmm. there there's a lot of people that are more and more trained and qualified to provide you with the correct information evidence-based medicine but also to give you strategies to cope and to understand what your body is doing how does it function and how actually there's a lot a lot of things that can be done for you to be functioning normally like running after your kid in the playground carrying or lifting without any discomfort or pain pain is something that 
shouldn't be ignored. It's not normal. Um, for example, having incontinence leakage, having parents uh, or moms coming to see me being I leak when I laugh or cough is something that shouldn't be considered like normal. Mm-hmm. It has a big frustration, embarrassment impact, but also social environment impact. It's costly. Um, it's costly for the environment. So these are the things that should be really aware. So being proactive and turning to a specialist, as we say, rather than Dr. Google or indeed <laughs> Mumsnet. Yeah. Um, Juliette Dutois is with us from Up and Running. We are going to go to the text line. Um, one here saying, um, I'm in my second trimester, have developed SPD. It started around week 14 and it's steadily getting worse. Had it for a month now. Could an osteo help? Ha- any advice on avoiding the pain? Very scared of ending up signed off work or on crutches. I do a desk job. What is SPD exactly, Juliet? So SPD is symphysis pupus dysfunction, which comes under the umbrella term of pelvic girdle pain in the medical world. It's a very, very common condition that we see during pregnancy. And it's probably maybe the first one that I see on a daily basis concerning uh, pregnant ladies. In uh, research beforehand, we used to think that pelvic girdle pain used to be because um, ligament instability. It used to be, oh, it's normal, you're pregnant. Or it used to be, uh, avoid any sort of form of exercise, it go away. But actually, all of this has shifted. And science nowadays show us that actually pelvic girdle pain is much more complicated than that, much more complex. Um, it encompasses a lot of different factors. Um, and now the coping strategies with this is to basically have a proper assessment. This is the main thing because every single woman is unique and Mm -hmm. pelvic girdle pain can be stress-related, it can be fear-related. So we're talking here about emotion. Emotions in the body are really translated through physical symptoms. So this is the main thing. It could be an altered breathing pattern, not breathing optimally. So the the link between the diaphragm and a pelvic floor, I can go more details into this, but it's very highly linked and it's very important to understand it and can create some tightness, some discomfort and pain through that pelvic girdle. I think it's very important also that it's something that should not be considered normal during pregnancy. There's loads of things, coping strategies, stress management, mindfulness, awareness, exercise modification Mm -hmm. that's tailored to you specifically, not what everybody says to you because everybody's different. Strengthening, uh, understanding what the core, what the pelvic floor does during that time of pregnancy is very important So my top tips in um, pelvic girdle pain is to first seek help, go and see a woman's health specialist because we need a proper assessment. And then all these little strategies and coping strategies will help you to not only overcome the discomfort, but also manage it Mm -hmm. because you still have a long way to go. 14 weeks pregnant is... um, well, you still, yeah, you still got a fair, yeah. fair big to go. And that so. baby's going to get bigger. And then it's going to be bigger and heavier and then preparation to labour and all of these kind of things. It's going to encompass much more frustration and fear. So the earlier you seek help, the better it is. Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Joining us live in the studio now is Juliette Tatois from Up and Running. She's an osteopath. She delivers the Mummy MOT. She also works with paediatric osteos as well for babies post that six-week checkup. Um, I want to know more about the Mummy MOT. <laughs> tell, us, tell us what's involved and when women typically would come and see you for that. So Mummy MOT is a course delivered back in the UK by a uh, women's health physiotherapist, Maria Elliott. And the Mummy MOT uh, postnatal check is a screening. It's a comprehensive post assessment for women following c-section and vaginal deliveries it basically encompasses posture assessment breathing assessment functional screening assessment abdominal muscle assessment but also optimal vaginal exam whether it's a vaginal exam lying down or standing up uh, c-section examination episiotomy and tear examination and it's a very great way to basically tell your birth story to your healthcare practitioner to mm-hmm. be educated, supported um, and heard. Um, it's very useful to understand your body and how to optimise basically your recovery uh, through delivery. I think um, concerning the vaginal examination, a lot of women would be a little bit fearful about what it entails to. You don't have to have a vaginal examination. We do highly recommend you to have one because it can take 
like let, let lead us to a lot of information mm-hmm. and depending on the symptoms that you are showing it could be very useful in treating uh, but basically the mummy MRT it's a very good way it's a full screening but a very good way to address specific concern but also provide treatment plan and appropriate exercises and coping strategy for you to actually be doing what you actually love doing and to become functional again. I think you, you, what you said there about obviously there's the kind of the medical physical side which is absolutely crucial in terms of having all of that information but also something of the emotional side as well as I'm sure when it comes to women telling their birth stories sometimes that's something that can bring up a lot of sometimes good memories but sometimes some quite traumatic memories as well and I I wondered how you can support women with that that side of recovery as well. I think after delivering the baby, I think that most of the women don't have the chance to tell their story or feel quite ashamed to tell their story because their birth plan didn't go as planned and they go through a lot of traumatic events. And I think being able to have someone that actually listen, um, cares, support um, is very important. So sometimes just listening is probably our main role as osteopath is listening to the person in front of you and listening to their story. And that's already a massive help in terms of what we can help with. Obviously, if there's more mental health issues or underlining things that requires more help, then we need to refer to the appropriate healthcare to support this. Petra's been in touch asking about ab separation, saying, um, I had a bit from my last pregnancy three years ago and I've been told some exercises can make it worse. Is it ever too late to treat? And is there anything I should absolutely avoid? What is the the official name for this? Because I can never pronounce it. Diastasis recti. Thank you. Um, <laughs> or commonly known as abdominal separation or the gap. We hear a lot of people say the gap, um, which I don't really like the word, but that's kind of how it's commonly known as. Um, the short answer is no, it is never too late to treat diastasis recti. And we see a lot, a lot of women pass menopause with diastasis recti um, it affects not only women actually it affects also children and men so a lot of people have diastasis recti but actually is not aware they have diastasis recti because they're perfectly functional and how do you kind of ascertain that somebody has this so it's a specific measurement um there's been a lot of on going debate in the research and in the science and we have evolved through that debate and through these researches there's a very misunderstanding in the community especially in the women's health community about this diastasis recti and as an osteopath or physiotherapist in women's health we really educate on what is that abdominal separation Um, what are we actually looking at it doesn't matter really how wide is your gap or how deep is your gap but it's how we can actually tension the fascia in between our abdominal muscles Mm -hmm. to make ourselves functional and this sometimes it's very hard to make people understand what we look at is how functional you can work with a diastasis recti and there's a lot of fear of exercises doing at work I see women that doesn't do it anything in terms of abs but when you think about it when you're lifting your little one when you're going grocery shopping you are using your abdominal muscle maybe Mm -hmm. not very efficiently or maybe not accurately or maybe you're compensating with other muscles but that's where as a woman's health specialist we come in and we try to educate you and empower you around diastasis recti and you shouldn't be living in fear of being in pain or or worsening it so to Petra's point then is there any exercises that you would say please don't do this it depends again the big word, it depends. It depends. Is it a true diastasis recti? Is there any doming, bulging, how she's controlling her pressure? You know, I'm going to make you examine me when you're doing the traffic. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be lying on the floor. You'll be there looking for the gap. I think it's very hard to say to avoid an exercise because everybody's different. And when we're looking at it, it's very different. So get yourself to Julia. (laughs) We've had had two messages about stress incontinence. One asking, can you please, can you please address it? Another one saying, I'm 43. I've got one child. Um, Don't normally have a problem with stress incontinence, can run, cough, sneeze, whatever, but currently have a terrible chest infection and cough really violently and it's making me leak. Any advice to anyone suffering, whether it is post-birth or indeed in terms of circumstantial, like in this most recent message? Um, it's quite a funny one because with COVID, I had a few cases of... Uh, really? <laughs> yes. So unfortunately, people with very bad cough and realising that with that really strong cough um, created some leakage. Um, with stress urinary incontinence, um, yet again, it depends. It needs a proper assessment. Of course, when you're going to 
cough and strain and not being able to control the abdominal pressure, the pressure that you're putting onto your pelvic floor, there is some leakage or stress in your incontinence that could happen through that pelvic floor and that leakage. I think what's very important to understand is that that's usually a sign that maybe the pelvic floor muscle or the core pressure is not controlled or there is some weakness in there. And it's quite important to seek help as much as possible because you don't want to keep on pushing putting strain on that abdominal wall or on that pelvic floor. So it's definitely something that can be addressed and definitely have loads of coping strategies, especially when you've got chronic coughs. And it's not something you have to live with? Absolutely not. Um, We haven't even talked about um, osteopathy for babies. I'm (laughs) going to get you on to talk about that another day. But I just wanted to um, ask you kind of, a really great question from Zoe, who was being really proactive, saying, I'm only 14 weeks pregnant and I wonder what Juliet's advice is for preparing for birth to avoid tears and any post-birth complications. Great question. Great question. Um, so preparing for birth, I think you first thing to understand is that there's loads of different things that we can teach you. First of all, we can teach you how to open your pelvis optimally. So we're talking about the inlet and the outlet of your pelvis. So optimally um, providing you with some birth position and strategies, understanding the anatomy because it's very mechanical. Mm -hmm. Birth process is something very natural, but you can put yourself into a certain position that can really aid the distance of the baby and avoiding tears using gravity like squatting or forces. There's also perineal massage, which is really highly recommended at that 34, 36 kind of week benchmark. Perineal massage basically includes stretching the perineum, which is basically that area between the vagina and your back passage. And doing that regularly, probably three to four times a week in this next stage of pregnancy is extremely important because it can really help you to have the sensation of that stretching through that pelvic floor, through the perineum. And that has a really good um, evidence in basically uh, low incidence of tears or Mm. episiotomy, preparing for birth, having hands-on massage, like really your adductor muscles, which is the inner thigh muscles. We should just say this is you do not ask your local massage therapist to do this for you. <laughs> yeah. It's not an added service. This is something <laughs> that's for a partner or a practitioner, practitioner. such as Julia. Exactly. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> just just in case your, your masseuse is going to get an, an interesting question. We've run out of time speaking of interesting questions. Thank you for everyone who's been in touch today. Juliet, we'd love to have you back. We we had a number of messages about cranial um, therapies in babies as well, so we'll yeah. definitely we'll definitely address that on We've a future show. Thank you so so much for your time in the meantime if we couldn't get to your message or you do want to find out more um, one-on-one you can find Juliet at Up and Running she's there at Tuesdays at the Emirates Golf Club and the rest of the time in uh, Awasal in the Jumeirah branch if you want her details drop me a message 4001 the app or the WhatsApp and I will send that your way Juliet absolute pleasure thank you so much great to have you in the studio great to have you in Dubai and we'll catch up very soon indeed this content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment we've all heard that phrase that everything is energy including all of us and that's what we're talking about today the energy body what exactly is it we're finding out now with kiru kushikoma who is a mind body practitioner taking your questions too and kiru i feel like everyone i speak to at the minute is on the edge of a breakdown (laughs) i feel like everyone's one email or phone call away from you know screaming into the abyss um so I'm glad you're here today. Um, before we get into some advice for kind of protecting our energy over this crazy season, whether it is, you know, family visiting or travel or work, I'd love to hear a little bit about you and how you found yourself working in this field. Can you tell us? Certainly. Uh, thank you so much. You're First of welcome. all, it's such a pleasure to be with you today. And, um, and thank you for the invite. So, yes, um, you know, my role as an integrative nutritionist and a holistic energy healer, um, I'm so super excited to be able to sit with my clients and then, you know, educate them about healthy lifestyle and then sit back and watch them transform their lives and receive that aha moment of fully being alive. This is one of the things I loved doing and that's why I'm here today as well. But that's now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Let, let, let's let's quote share. If we could turn back time, where would, where would we have found you twenty years ago? <laughs> Absolutely. So you know, seven years ago, if you had seen me, I was totally a different person, and um, health was last thing in my agenda. So 
you know, I was doing two jobs. I was working in a corporate and running my own business. And of course, my business was growing and my job was getting demanding. And I had to put into, you know, more hours. And I did that by sacrificing my sleep and neglecting my health. So, you know, this went on and I was successful, but I was living in a stressful life. There was a, there was a price to pay for that success. Absolutely. So the health started calling me out and my body was literally trying to draw my attention. So I had digestive issues, hormonal issues, and um, I was gaining weight and the weight was always fluctuating. And my immune system was bad. If I looked much older than I am today. And, you know, every time there's something around a flu or fever, I'll be assured to fall sick. And I was living on high doses of antibiotics and as well as hormonal pills. Man, I never realized that this is killing my good bacteria. So that can ended up having bloatedness, leaky gut. And on top of that, I was actually getting more stressed because I had to deal with my marriage issues, betrayals, as well as going into divorce. So it put me into a total burnout. Mm-hmm. What, was, what was your own aha moment when you thought this can't continue? The aha moment is when it wasn't very pleasant, but when I uh, fell sick and I couldn't stop throwing up for 24 hours. And that's when I feel, felt, you know what, the lessons that we learn doesn't always come in a red ribbon. It comes in a sandpaper. So I actually thought, okay, that's it. I'm not sinking anymore because I'm, I was depressed, but I didn't know I was depressed. So I said, I'm going to take myself back. And that was my aha moment when I started to go into healing myself in terms of nutrition mm-hmm. and looking into movements and so on. But that helped me. I mean, I, I mean, I shifted my life. I moved to Dubai. I furthered my studies. But yet I kept feeling I'm not fully healed. I was able to reverse some of my symptoms, but there was something missing. And I felt I haven't gone to the root cause. Being a healer, I was able to heal for 17 years. I was healing everybody else, but I never, ever realized I had to heal myself. And when I started doing that, man, that was so hard because I was peeling layers and layers of emotions. And those emotions some were from childhood, which I never f- remembered. Mm-hmm. And I forgiveness, not only for others, for myself, accepting myself as who I am. And that was really hard. It took me four years to get to a state where I am today and I'm still healing myself. This content is for informational purposes only and is not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Joining us live now is Kiru Kushkumar, who's a mind-body practitioner. We're talking about energy um, and protecting yours, boosting yours, what you can be doing um, in, in what I think is universally being described as crazy season right now. And we've had a question from Leanne saying, feeling really overwhelmed with work. I have to travel with the kids over Christmas and already stressed thinking about it. How can I protect myself so it doesn't become all too much? Leanne, you could be me, spirit animal. Um, what do you suggest, Kira, to anyone who's feeling exactly that, overwhelmed? Overwhelmed. Hey, Leanne, so you're not the odd one. Um, I was there because it's something that we always try to do is we try to control everything. We like to have everything the way we decide and and happen in the right time. So it's the matter of um, first taking a step back and willing to take off your hands from the wheel. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) And allowing the universe or God or highest source, whatever you believe, to bring things to in the orderly manner. Because remember, you we don't need to always need to fix everything. We don't need to find solution. I was like that. I was a person who always said, "I need to find solution. If Plan A doesn't work, Plan B." 
whatever it is, and I'm a perfectionist. Not anymore, to somewhat. <laughs> but yes, it that stress you out and that burns burns you out and you really cannot enjoy the season. The best thing is do whatever you can do. That's exactly what I was about to say. Control what you can control. Absolutely. <laughs> and then you're going just say to yourself well in advance, I'm going to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. It's not it doesn't have to be perfect. It's okay to when things go wrong. I think that is a really interesting point about that expectation because Absolutely. I mean I'm, I am prone to some perfectionism myself. <laughs> um and my worst thing is having these these expectations that I don't articulate <laughs> to anybody so no one can help me in that um, and then having disappointments when things don't go my way so yeah. Leanne I'm with you I know I know you're probably stressing about packing and finishing tasks and all of that but I'm in exactly the same headspace I'm going to control what I can control and then try and as you say take hands off the wheel. Um, I just wondered if there's anything that you recommend people do on a daily or weekly basis to kind of help keep us balanced. Is there any kind of quick tips you could offer us, Kiri? Yeah. So one of the things I believe that lots of us struggle, whether it's health or life or just, you know, getting getting things done is, uh, you know, we all have this fast-paced life and hurry up and get done, right? So... We need to first learn to relax. That is, I mean, we need the first thing. It sounds thing. so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it was hard for me. And yeah. most importantly, choose yourself first. This was hard for me because uh, I was chasing success all the time. And I'm, I'm sure many ladies out there can relate this. Mm. We want to be the mother. We want to be the wife. We want to be the boss, everything. And then it Yes, the self-love and um, self-esteem or even like that caring for us comes last. So all you got to do is, first of all, take that space time. If you feel it's it's a bad day, mm-hmm. just it, let it be and distract yourself. This really works. All you need to do is distract yourself. You could just go on for a walk, even in between works. Just go f- for a walk if you can find a small space. Listen to the music. Dance yourself out. Distract so that the trick is to maintain your joy level. Yes, you're in the midst of mess. Things are not going well. Yes, but take a time and go and come back. Kira, we've run out of time, unfortunately. <laughs> You've got a workshop coming up on the 10th of December and you talk about going on a date with yourself. Um, can you share your website if anyone wants to find out more? Yes, it's it's all on my website as well as Instagram. So uh, it's com, and you can find me on Instagram, health expert Kiro. Thank you so, so much. If anyone wants those details, drop me a little line on 4001. I'd be very happy to send them your way. This content is for informational purposes only. If you would like to seek medical treatment, please contact a certified healthcare provider for personalised advice and diagnosis. Helping you get a bit of a head start on some of your financial resolutions. Yes, even if your email inbox was anything like mine over the weekend, which was just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages encouraging me to spend my money. Joining us live on the line now is the Deputy Group CEO of National Bond, Rehab Luther. She's got decades of experience with the UA's finance and government sector and an auditor as well. Rehab, how are you? Very good, Helen. Thank you for having me and thank you for this opportunity to talk to your audience. Thank you. Well, I really do appreciate your insights. And I think, as I said, it's a very challenging time to think about saving because we've got so many demands on us financially. And a lot of these companies are making it very difficult. (laughs) I've unsubscribed to an awful lot of automated uh, emails over the weekend. But I wondered if you could perhaps outline some of the biggest challenges that you see in UA residents, some of the, you know, the debt or the retail traps that people face that stops them saving for maybe not a rainy day, but certainly for the future? Uh, Let me start with something like uh, a very simple concept, which is the financial health. We go to the doctor and check our health. But do we really check our financial health? This is the question that we need to ask ourselves. Are we saving uh, for rainy days? Uh, do you, do we really understand what does saving mean and what is the difference between saving and investment? You know, 
all those terms, people hear it and they don't understand it. For us, saving is just part of the journey. You start the saving, you need to have an objective for saving. When now you have a purpose, then you will continue doing it. Uh, there is a lot of uh, habit that we have, which is the, the, the consumer's habit, where, where we see advertisement everywhere. We have a lot of festivals. We have Black Friday, White Wednesday, whatever. It's endless. We have it's endless. <laughs> yes, and then you you can't stop buying. You know, even we go and buy things that actually we don't need it. You know, uh, when we talk about uh, financial planning, we need to be wise, uh, wise in our uh, spending. It it is like a parallel path. Uh, you need to spend. Uh, within your means, which is very important, mm-hmm. within your means, keeping in mind that 50% of your income should go to the basics, 30 goes to the luxury or uh, you know travel, whatever plans that you want to to do in your in your uh, month, then 15% goes to your investment and 5% goes to emergency savings. Oh. Uh, having said that. There is another statistic. The majority of people, they have debt and they have loans from the bank. Mm-hmm. They can't follow those numbers, you know. It might not be realistic. So what we propose in such cases that you go, you pay about 40% for your debt, then 40% for your basic necessity. And then 10% goes to the luxury. And we should always keep 5% for your uh, investment, which is long term. Investment is always long term, where you are. It, it's difficult also to liquidate, good, like yeah. buying an asset, <laughs> buying a, you know, it's not buying a car, huh? A yes. car is not investment, but uh, buying a real estate, buying, uh, having, uh, you know, any specific fund or something. You can you can still uh, invest, but for your saving, at least you need to keep five percent. Uh, in your from your uh, income. Um, a question. Wanted, sorry, we have. I, I want to squeeze in a question from uh, from the listeners. We've got one from Emily saying, yeah. "What do you recommend with the emergency funds?" You're saying that five percent going into that emergency pot. But keeping in mind in mind that you need to have fifteen percent in uh, plan for investment. Mm-hmm. You know, so for uh, so you need to allocate twenty percent of your salary for investment and for fund because what. In the investment, once you are stuck in specific investment, you cannot exit. It will take time. It's more than three years. And what about the emergency fund? What What, what is that looking to cover and how should we calculate how much uh, we need in it? Emergency fund, you need 5% of your salary. Uh, we need to distinguish between investment and saving. Mm-hmm. Investment is mainly for specific objectives, short term, less than three years. But when you go to... Uh, uh, investment, uh, it, it, it is more than that, three years, and I'm expecting money to generate money. So my money grows. In the saving, your money will not grow. But this is something that you keep in case that you have any emergency you can, you can use. You always have this question for you. I think I think the issue for a lot of people, and I do count myself in this, is that we think about our future selves as being quite abstract. You know, it's 20 years in the future. It's 50 years in the future. I don't need to worry about that now. How can we motivate yeah. ourselves to save today for tomorrow? And I think you should start your saving journey when you are, on, um, uh, you are 20. Because you need to plan for your retirement. Maybe you have, you have a plan to... Uh, to, to um, open your own business. So you should start early. And we need to think of the inflation. Mm-hmm. The money that you save now, the, the value of the money is, will become less in the future. So you need longer and longer period of saving. So, so that money will be valued uh, at the end of this journey. Uh, most of the people, the first thing that they do in the beginning of, of the month, once they get the salary, uh, 68% of them, they will go and pay their bills. But we, what we are recommending here is to pay yourself. Pay yourself. This is the golden rule. We spend one month uh, working hard and getting the money and giving it to everybody. And we forget to pay ourselves. We forget to 
keep something for our future, for our investments, for for uh, for our retirement plan. All of this, we should uh, think about it. Even part of of our uh, planning should be planning for our kids. We have seen that only 51% of parents are saving for their uh, kids' education or kids' future. I think that, and, and I think that's a big obstacle for a lot of a lot of people here who are the vast majority paying for schooling, which might not be the case in their home country. And then, of course, thinking about that education planning as well. I, I would love to say I started planning for my retirement when I was twenty, but I'm double that now, and I'm only just starting to work on it. Is it ever too late to start saving rehab? No, no, you can start immediately, and. Uh, you always think of you should start yesterday. Now you didn't start this. Okay, do it now, and it should be automatic. Mm-hmm. You get me? Like it, yeah. it shouldn't be an option. It should be automatic, direct, uh, direct debit from your account. So immediately it will be booked. Rehab, thank you so, so much. I think I think it is a really hard thing to think about now as we get into a lot of gifting season, travel season. As I said, the endless emails telling me it's 50 to 70% discount, but only for today. I'm deleting the emails. <laughs> thank you for your advice. And I think even if we just start to think about this now, get in some really good financial habits. Um, thank you for your insights. Really do appreciate yeah, it. And you, wishing you a wonderful season ahead. A Rehab Luta, the Deputy Group CEO of National Bonds. I want to know, is your Christmas tree up? Send me a thumbs up or a thumbs down to 4001. We'll do a very non-scientific poll. Um, but if you need some festive design tips, we've got an expert for you live in the studio. Kate Insone is the founder and creative director at Blush, the go-to designer for superhomes here in Dubai. She's had some A-lister megastar clients. She signed an NDA. Cannot name names, unfortunately, but is also here to help us mere mortals as well. Any weird requests over the years when it comes to... Uh, working on homes with some big names, without naming names, Kate? Oh, we've had a lot of weird requests. Um, we have uh, blown up mountains cr- to create um, car museums. <laughs> we've, we've dug tunnels for bowling alleys. Um, our latest request has been to convert a 777 Boeing jumbo jet into a private jet. Oh, my gosh. Which is super exciting, but also what's, a little scary. What's going? Why would you need such space for a private jet? And what they? What are they going to have on it? Well, we have boardrooms, we have cinemas, we have only two bedrooms actually. Um, we Gosh. have kitchens, we have uh, uh, offices. This is interior design on quite literally physically the next level. Let's bring it to festive. Is your Christmas tree up? Not yet. I like to wait until December. Me too. Me too. I like to have National Day and then with that long weekend, so I'm thinking Sunday afternoon, ours will go up. But I've started bringing a few things out because I've, I've started lighting some candles. I've got a lovely tartan blanket that I've brought out. So I wanted to ask how you feel about, I guess, seasonal styling versus Christmas decorations. Well, we love seasonal styling um, just because... You know, you, you buy your sofa and your coffee table and your armchairs, and these are real investment pieces, and you're not going to change them. But if you do your seasonal styling, um, you can create a whole new living room, a new, a new vi- feel, a new vibe, um, and especially in the festive season. So um, you, what we often do, we call it cosy Christmas layering. So oh. it's, it's like fashion. So in the wintertime, you add your cardigan, your cashmere scarf, your coat, and it's layer upon layer. And we do the same with your house. So we swap out your scatter cushions. And um, we used to always do kind of the golds and the, the reds and the, um, the greens. And this year, we've kind of, we've gone for a more neutral, natural um, vibe, which we feel is a little bit more sustainable. Mm. So we've gone for kind of olive greens and taupes and winter whites. Love winter whites. Oh, that sounds lovely. So does it tend to follow trends then as such when it comes Massively. to Massively. And I think the big interior trend has been this kind of natural, neutral interiors, which is a lot more pared back. It's using oaks. It's using um, beautiful heavy linens and boucles. So I think if you then were to put a more traditional um, Christmas scenario into that it would clash a little bit Mm -hmm. so it's kind of keeping it softer it's keeping it a little bit more handmade so going back to the magic of Christmas taking away from that kind of commercialized edge 
And we're super lucky here um, with all of the Christmas markets we now have. And there's so much homegrown talent here. Really some is. great artisans, even some great mums who are sitting there making. I was, I was looking on Facebook. These great baubles out of recycled glass. Beautiful, really simple. Um, what was it? it was Craig Craig the Carpenter, I think. I've got one of oh, Craig the Carpenter's it, plates. He made a, he made me a lovely plate with for Santa from the farmers. Yes. And it's enormous. It's up, it's almost like a, a meter round. It's he's just the loveliest guy. Well, they do gorgeous things. Yeah, and he can make your beautiful old fashioned wooden um Christmas decorations. So it just shout feels out, small business <laughs> shout out to Craig the Carpenter. So but it still sounds luxe though. I like this kind of paired back linen naturals. What at the other end of the scale, what are some of your big pet peeves, Kate, when it comes to Christmas styling? Christmas styling, well what I think is it it should be seasonal styling. So you start at November and you keep it until February. So you don't want it to be like your Christmas jumper. So your Christmas jumper, you wear for one day only. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be bringing in the sequins. So sequins cushions, you don't need, you don't need the, the, the glitter. You don't need to have the, the velvet tablecloth. You don't need to have, I'm not a big fan of the, of the wooden soldier thing. I mean, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just everywhere. And what about your own your own colour scheme this year? What are you thinking? Um, I, well, I'm going to go for my um, my neutral, natural Christmas with those olives and those taupes and those winter whites. And then what I love to do is add a really kind of chunky knit um, throw because even though we're in Dubai and it's hot, it still gets cooler. And we've all been Too here. Right? I've got yeah. goosebumps right now. Yeah, it's freezing. Where's your chunky knit right now? Okay. Um, <laughs> Julie's saying we're putting the Christmas tree up on the 1st of December. Big tradition in our home, some mulled drinks too. The challenge I've had since becoming a mother is my children bringing home decorations. And my mum was a big red, gold and green woman. Um, and then there was a, a kind of a special section at the back of the tree where we were allowed to put our decorations that we'd made at nursery and school. Where do you stand on, I guess... Quality control? <laughs> I say two trees. Yes, thank you. A hundred percent two trees. You have a children's tree and they can go mad. And then you have the, the, the more of the um, public tree, the, the tree that your guests see. <laughs> the social media <laughs> yeah. tree. We got, um, it's, it's my wedding anniversary on Christmas Eve. Oh, so we, um, we asked all of our, we, it was a small wedding, but we asked all the guests instead of a, a wedding present to bring us a decoration. And that's really special to us that we know that this one's from my mum and dad and this is from, you know, Nick's brother and, and, and whatnot. So I love having those kind of moments, you know, where we, where we kind of bring out them and, adding to that with with the children as well um and i wondered a kind of a little bit about what else we can be doing in the home tablescaping tablescaping i love tablescaping um and i think these are your two areas that everybody congregates at christmas you have your living room and then of course christmas lunch is is in the dining room um and what I love with the tablescaping for Christmas, you can leave it out. So it stays mm. on the table through the whole kind of Christmas season. And this year, what, I'm, what I love is you can go outside your garden or go down to the garden centre and just get some foliage and beautiful foliage. And you just lay it down the middle of your dining table and you punctuate it with pillar candles. Really simple, really beautiful. And if you can find any eucalyptus leaves, it smells divine. And it's that lovely kind of muted, olivey... Um, green colour. So it's just really pretty. Okay, you've got me excited. I want to go and start decorating like crazy. Now, my husband is a bit of a Grinch and he's away at the minute. So he's going to come back to something of a winter wonderland when he returns to Dubai on Sunday. And I'm going to firmly blame you. (laughs) And for anyone that does want some expert insights in terms of your content, your resources, but also in terms of your, your services as well, what's the best way of getting in touch with you at Blush? I guess it's probably through our website, um, which is uh, blush hyphen. No, it's not. I actually. <laughs> My Instagram. <laughs> And you know what? If anyone wants that, I will send it to you on 4001. In terms of my very non scientific poll, we have got two thumbs up and three thumbs down. So I think Dubai is waiting until the weekend. Kate Stone, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Um, please share photos of all of your inspirations on, on Instagram. I'd love to see that. And uh, yeah, two trees. That's the top tip. Kate and Stone joining us from Blush. (laughs) 
Joining us, probably one of Dubai's busiest women, Ludmilla Malava. We've stolen her away from her practice there at HPL Malava and Pluka for an hour to answer my questions, but most importantly, your questions. Ludmilla, great to have you with us. We're going to get straight to the headlines. A couple of things we'd like to address before we go to already a very busy text line. New federal family law. What's it all about? What do we need to know? And how is it going to affect us? A great new source of law. It applies to, it's basically a personal, it's a personal status law and it applies to non-Muslim individuals and families and couples. Uh, so in particular, it uh, would um, apply to anyone who wants to get married in the UAE uh, or get divorced or even for inheritance purposes. And so unlike um, previously, whenever a couple would want to get divorced, for example, they would apply to a personal status court, and by default, the application of law would be the UAE personal status law, which is based on principles of Sharia. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this specific law uh, sets out ultimate civil procedure, civil law for non-Muslim couples in the case of any one of these uh, personal circumstances, or uh, such as divorces, marriages, or inheritance. Uh, so it's huge. It's huge because we've never had anything like this in the UAE except in Abu Dhabi. And mm-hmm. we've talked about the Abu Dhabi civil marriages and its effects law on this program in the past. And so this new law, which is the Federal Decree Law Number 41 of 2021 on civil personal status matters, is a federal law. So previously, Abu Dhabi had its own law that ultimately introduce this brand new, very novel concept of applying civil law to basically civil marriages and civil um, and, and its effects law for just Abu Dhabi citizens or residents. And now, um, and now we've got it at a federal level. So am I right in hopefully thinking this is going to make things faster, cheaper, easier? And let's use a divorce as, as an example there. Is this going to be the case where there might need to be perhaps no blame assigned things could just go through a lot more smoothly exactly bingo so the uh, w- one of the most relevant parts for for I guess again non-muslim couples would be that there is no um, there's no need there's basically both couples have uh, have their equal right to divorce there's no there's no re- requirement of having fault divorce for example or for one spouse having a stronger right for for divorce than the other side the other spouse so here it's equal rights for divorce um, and there's no reason for, there's no requirement of a fault or for a divorce to be at fault or for any other reason. Either party can divorce at any point in time for any reason with uh, no um, uh, no penalties. Furthermore, with regards to custody, and um, I guess in, in, in under Sharia, you have two concepts, custody and guardianship. In civil law, there is no such thing. There's just basically custody and guardianship, but one is the same. And so under this law, uh, p- uh, parents will have 50-50 rights. Uh, for custody over their children. So there's no more the custody resides with the mother and guardianship with the father. And then the custody transfers a certain age of the kids back to the father. Here, the parents will have equal right over the children uh, unless they agree otherwise, for example. What about alimony? Has there been any reference to that? Uh, So this specific law sets out a a general framework and it also uh, refers to regulations to be uh, implemented later. Uh, so the, the current version of the law, the current law, the main law, does not uh, specifically uh, talk about alimony. And there is a provision, however, that indicates that the alimony will only be paid one way, and that is to the wife or the ex-wife, and not by wife to the ex-husband. Um, so uh, so there is, you know, we, we know that, that the alimony would only be uh, um, eligible for a woman to receive, not for a man. Uh, but in terms of how it's going to be calculated, that will be defined in the executive regulations, will be, which will be introduced uh, at a later point. And recognition of civil marriage, Ludmilla, this seems to be a big one as well. And um, we've had a question going, when is this coming into effect? So when are we going to have this UAE-wide federal law? It, it will come into effect February 2023, so two months from now. And it will apply to all relationships, be it marriages or divorces for that matter, that will take place uh, after the law comes into effect. So, for example, if you have an ongoing divorce case uh, and come February when this new law comes into effect, uh, the, the the current ongoing divorce case will not be affected by that law in, you know, in February. Uh, so it will only apply to divorces or marriages that will be filed uh, after February 2023. 
your chance to get your questions answered here on Dubai I 103.8 anonymously if you prefer. Uh, we have just been talking about the new federal family law that's coming into effect February next year, Ludmilla. And a follow-up question saying, uh, does it apply to marriage that took place outside of the UAE? I assume this is talking about the divorce uh, law that will be now UAE-wide. Um, what, I mean, presumably if someone got married in their home country, be it, you know, UK and India, New Zealand, where that might, are you still able to get divorced under UAE federal law come February with the circumstances you described earlier? Absolutely. And that's the point of this law. So for any kind of civil marriages, in this case, it doesn't matter where these civil marriages took place. Uh, if the divorce happens after the once the law comes into into place, which is in February 2023, then yes, you will be able to avail yourself of the benefits of this uh, this new law. And, and that, by the way, means in more specific terms that, for example, if there's a prenuptial agreement or postnuptial agreement, uh, or any other agreement between the parties, it will be enforceable as it would, for example, in most other jurisdictions. Do you think this is going to have an effect on the divorce rate in the UAE? Uh, no, I think I think I would like to think that maybe the idealist in me that uh, we will see less acrimonious divorces mm. because mm-hmm. what we see a lot right now is uh, people that are or di- couples that are already falling apart for one reason or another. And they doing there's a lot of battling out in uh, in courts where a, a law that doesn't that should effectively not apply to them is being applied to them. There's mm-hmm. a lot more, you know, one or the other party is trying to introduce the law, a, a different law, and a lot of time is being spent trying to introduce a, a, a different law only to come to terms, uh, you know, six months forward, fast forward that uh, it's easier to actually have the UAE uh, personal status law apply than to bring in, let's say, an American law, French yeah. law, because it's just too, um, uh, it's too time consuming, it's too difficult to, ultimately what you're trying to do is educate, for example, a local judge about a French law or Australian law and it's, or German law. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's very, in practical terms, almost impossible. No, I think, that, but, I think so that's as a really result, fair point, especially about not, things not being acrimonious. There may be a couple who are just simply ready to separate for various reasons. And if they are not able to have a no-blame divorce, then things could unravel and get nasty, which, you know, hopefully nobody wants. Um, well, I'm going to go to the phone line now, Ludmilla. No name, asking about her salary or lack of. I'm working for an LLC company. Uh, for the last five months, I didn't get my salary. I am continuously chasing uh, my employer for the salary, but they are like always delaying it. They say like 10 days, 15 days. And then I, uh, I had no choice and I reported to the labor um, complaint. And uh, once the labor contacted them, a labor advisor contacted them, they said that we will give you in 15 days. And then I closed the complaint. It's been 15 days. I am again chasing them and they are not giving me my salary. So please help me. What should be my next step? Should I again complain to the labor or what should I do? This sounds so hugely frustrating. Chasing money that is yours for months and months and months. Being told it's going to be 15 days and that not being the case. What are these listeners' options, Ludmilla? Well, I mean, first, first of all, if I may offer advice, don't work past the first month without being paid because you shouldn't be. There is no expectation. Or, and it's obviously the, the, the country, no other country, no the law expects you to continue to work here for free. Uh, so if you're not being paid after the first month, uh, take it as a sign of warning and be very cautious about proceeding forward with the same company. Uh, so that's that's lesson number one. Uh, with regards to what to do next, so I want to clarify what this labor complaint means. Uh, so in any kind of labor dispute, there's two steps. Uh, whenever an employer or a company has a labor dispute, they first file a complaint uh, with uh, some uh, form of mediation authority. So it's, if it's a mainland company and employees working for LLCs, they will have to file a complaint with the Ministry of Human Resources and Amortization, which otherwise is known as MOHRE. Uh, and if they're in a free zone, that they will file with the mediation authority within that specific free zone. So that's the first step. When you file a complaint with that authority, it purely is just, it's almost, in a way, it's more of an administrative step. Uh, because this authority is not a judicial authority. It's just they're there to serve as a mediator, but it's only effective if both parties are on board to, to resolve the dispute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that particular authority does not have the, uh, actual, the actual authority, be it Mohre or the free zone, 
to force the parties to do anything. So it doesn't have the authority, for example, to force the company to come forward and pay. All it has the ability to do is to call the company and notify them the complaint has been filed and give them the opportunity to pay or explain their position. But if the company is not willing to pay or does not even show up to the hearing or mediation, which they don't have to by, by law, then nothing happens. So what you, then what you need to do is then if the medi this, this mediation is not successful, then you need to file an employment case or labor complaint. But before you do that, you need to get an NOC uh, from this mediation authority, let's say Mokhre, and then with that NOC, you go to court. So in other words, Mokhre doesn't really have, right now for the time being, uh, authority to enforce the company or force the company to pay. Only the court has the ability to do so. And if if you haven't heard back from Mokhre or from the company within 15 days, that's perhaps your sign that the company is not going to pay voluntarily. Therefore, you need to request an NOC from Mokhre and then go to court. Oh, my goodness. Okay. If this was... But it's not, but it's, but, but as I described this, it's not as complex or okay. time consuming or even expensive as it may sound. So these days, one of the blessings that I've, I've said many, many times, uh, one of the blessings of COVID is that so many of the government services, if not all, have moved into some form of online platform or another, and they're extremely efficient and extremely, extremely effective. So all of this is happening literally from, from your own comfort space. You, okay. you could do it on your computer. You can do file complaints, both with Mokhre and the court. Both literally at your fingertips, either through your computer or through your uh, your phone, uh, either through the website or through the various apps. And it all really happens fairly quickly. Both Mokre and the, the labor courts are very efficient in in deciding cases. So it, and you can do it all yourself. You actually don't need a law firm. You just need to make sure whatever you submit to the authorities is in Arabic, which you can do through uh, translators. Uh, but it's not as complex or expensive as it may sound. Thank you. And Miller, if you could... Um look to the future, what do you think the listeners' chances are of actually seeing that money? Um, I think if if, they can, if she continues with the court case, then very good chances good. because uh, you have to get paid. I mean, that's just the law. And and so what she, she will have a favorable, if she goes with the court, she will have a favorable judgment in her, uh, in, in her um, favor. And there will be an amount of money that this company will be held to be owing to her. With that, she can file enforcement and then go after the company by virtue of, for example, seizing their bank accounts or seizing their license or even getting the, the manager or the shareholder of the company uh, held responsible for the payment of this court judgment. Yeah, well, take us Rolex. All right, Ludmilla, thank you so, so much. It's your legal clinic, Ludmilla Malava, standing by. Ludmilla, I want to get through as many messages as possible. We are going to have a bit of a quick fire round. A bit of feedback, Ludmilla. We're just hearing from a, a lady earlier who's been five months unpaid. Masha's saying, saying, which labour process are you talking about being easy and straightforward? I'm one and a half years into a labour course. Much drama. I have one, but I'm still yet to get what is owed and certainly haven't had an easy experience. And the lady who messaged, good luck, but don't expect to see that money. Any feedback on that, Ludmilla? Uh, I disagree with that. Uh, obviously, um, you know, I speak from the experience that I have, and uh, we are slightly in a different position, perhaps, than just a, a lay person, because we're a law firm, so this is what we do for living, for business. And I'm telling you, and I will not back, back away from this statement, if you know the process and you follow the process, and if you do things as for the process, it's a, it's a quick process. We've had a number of labor cases just this year alone where we had judgment within a month, a month and a half. Very, rather very large judgments. But you need to know the process. You need to know, for example, that you, you need to go through the mediation process first before you apply to the court. You need to also know if you're coming back, for, for, coming, for example, from a free zone, not only do you need to get an NOC from, from the free zone to go to labor court, but you need to convert that NOC uh, to, uh, through the ministry of uh, through Mohre to go to court. Again, it's not a lengthy process, but it is an administrative nuance. And you also need to know that whatever submissions you make, they have to be in Arabic. You need to know what is your claiming. You need to know that you need to know how to orient yourself, for example, in terms of the court system, uh, when the hearings, how the hearings are listed, where they're listed to attend the hearings. Again, it's not complex, and it's the systems and the, tool, the tools are all there. But you obviously, if you're just operating completely on your own without any advice, 
you're um, bound to, to stumble because this is not your area of expertise. But if you get a little bit of advice and you have a framework within which to operate, we've had a number of people who've come to us for advice. We gave them an hour of consultation and the rest of the process they were able to, uh, to manage on their own. So I, my statement remains uh, accurate and I stand by it. You, but you do need to have some advice. To the text line, Naja saying, legally, is completion for handover linked to payment? Consider the Dubai Municipality Completion Letter or the DLD Completion Letter. Thank you. It depends on, since we're talking about the contract, it depends on how it's defined in the contract. Uh, but ultimately, uh, the completion process that we described, that is, that is being referenced here, uh, refers to the, the law that sets out the developer's authority to ask for the next uh, payment uh, and upon, uh, until a certain uh, stage of, of the project has been completed. Now, that law that I'm referring to was actually issued by the ultimate Dubai Land Department. So in that case, uh, the, it's the Dubai Land Department's sign-off in terms of when that particular stage has been completed uh, would apply. Uh, but these these are the stages I'm talking about in terms of the um, the ongoing completion stages. But uh, but once the building has been completed, there is a, a, an overall completion certificate for the entire building that's being issued, and that certificate usually comes from the Dubai municipality or the relevant authority in the free zone, for example. So if we're talking about the completion certificate for the purposes of completion of the entire building versus a specific stage, then you go to the Dubai municipality or its equivalent. And if it's for the stages along the construction uh, process uh, for in terms of the installment payments, then it's the Dubai Land Department uh, date. Okay, hope that helps. Nash. All the very best with the admin. A message from James saying, my landlord has just sent me the one-year notice to vacate the property with a letter from the court. It says in the letter he's vacating us from the property to conduct full maintenance work and then sell it. Is it true that he won't be able to renew Rajari for two years following this? And if I do find out he's renting again, what can I do? To add to this, it's only our first year in the property. When we leave, it'll be two in total and have put in a lot of renovation work, which is frustrating. Yeah, indeed. Where does James stand in terms of reacting to that letter? And also, what does the law say in terms of the actions that a landlord can take? It sounds like the uh, the tenant received a land a legal notice from the landlord for to evict for the reasons of um, perhaps personal use. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, because if it is if the the reason for eviction is personal use, then it is true for two years the landlord is not supposed to rent out the house to anybody else. But supposed not supposed to rent out the house to anyone else is different from not being able to register a jari for two years. Because that's not, it's not really cross-linked to that extent yet. But if the tenant finds out, for example, that the landlord rented out the house to someone else, uh, as for the Dubai rental laws, the tenant can seek compensation from RDC, being the Rental Dispute Center, uh, for the difference in, or the damages they have suffered and for the difference in rent uh, between their previous tenancy and the current tenancy. So there they can seek compensation. Uh, but um, but it sounds like so I'm not sure if, if in this particular legal notice is uh, the, the ground for eviction is personal use or for maintenance uh, because if it is for maintenance it's a different reason and if in that case um, the um, you know and, and the RDC actually is pretty strict that the reason that's stated in the legal notice for eviction must be the actual reason that the landlord is ultimately trying to evict the tenant for, and that reason cannot be changed later. So okay. in, in, in fact, you can invalidate the legal notice if the reason changes or if the reason that's stated is for personal use, but then ultimately he decides to sell or vice versa. So the reason in the legal notice is very important. Okay. But James, all the very best. And I know a good removals company if you're looking for for some guys with some trucks. Um, anonymous message here saying, Facebook Messenger Stalker regularly messaging me, harassing me using a fake account, then deactivated. Now the stalker has created a new account and continues to message me. Is there a way of finding out who this person is and is there any legal recourse? There is a there is a legal recourse, but in terms of finding out who the person is, it really depends. Uh, so the legal recourse in this particular case, you could file an e-crime complaint because you're being stalked, you're being harassed, and these are uh, covered under the UAE cyber law. Uh, and so in this case, you can file an e-crime complaint if you do not know who the stalker is, for example. So in that case, that's the purpose of the e-crime complaint. And then once you have filed the e-crime complaint, the whole idea is that why it's called e-crime is it goes to the special e-crime division, 
where they have the tools and the ability to ultimately, hopefully, figure out who the stalker might be on the other side of the technological world. And in that case, so if they were, if you're, if they're able to identify that person, you'll be able to find out through those means. But one way or the other, uh, at least the e-crime division might be able to also assist in in uh, blocking, for example, some of these sites. Also, Even if they don't find out who the perpetrator is. I would also say that these crimes are taken incredibly seriously here in the UAE. The e-crimes department is very, very on top of these things and penalties are significant. Um, so I definitely would advise you going down that route, speaking from someone who's done the same. Um, very quick question, Ludmilla. Um, if a Dubai visa is cancelled, does health insurance continue throughout the grace period? Surely that must depend from company to company. It depends on your insurance policy. So in most cases, insurance policy and the term of visa are not aligned. Um, so you can have the visa, can- especially if you have the visa cancelled earlier, then your insurance policy is a contract, right? And it's a contract for the period, that period of time or term. So it does not by default uh, become invalid or, or stops uh, working. Uh, but um, um, certainly if the insurance company were to find out that your visa has been terminated, uh, in most, in a lot of the insurance contracts we have seen, there is a provision that they can they have the right to terminate insurance, for example, in the event your visa has been terminated. Uh, but it's not that they can just terminate insurance without refund. In most cases, if they do terminate it early, they also have to refund you for the remainder of the period of time. Ludmilla, thank you. It's been a whistle-stop tour of the law this afternoon, um, looking uh, looking to the future as well. So I'm sure we'll have more questions on that new federal family law that's going to be coming into play in February, and we'll be keeping everybody up to date on it, as I'm sure you will be across your social media channels. Uh, you can find Ludmilla Malava across Instagram, TikTok, and of course her website there at HPL Malava and Pluka. So if you do need some one-on-one assistance, that's the best way to go. But she will be back with us next Monday afternoon to any messages we weren't able to get to today. That will be put aside for next week wishing you a wonderful week ahead Ludmilla thank you again thank you too and uh, don't forget we will of course be revisiting many of these topics as news unfolds Thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.